Hey, you are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. Any place in your home that needs cleaning up? What? I didn't come and look at your house. I didn't know that. You know what? In the next couple minutes, I'm going to talk about cleaning up, and everybody's going to be looking at somebody else and saying, yeah, you need to start listening to this guy, okay? We have things that we need to clean up in our home. I don't know about you, but I can walk into rooms and go, how did it get this way? And who brought this in? And now I don't have children I can blame anymore, so I can only blame Denise. So the reality is, what got us to the spot, and what, where did these things come from, and why are they here? And it doesn't matter if it's a garage, a shed, a bedroom, a basement, or let's just go small and go a closet. How many closet doors can we not close? Really? The door won't close. Why? Because we can't get it all in there. Something needs to change. A cleaning, a a new cleaning needs to happen. Now, there's a thing called hoarding, uh, which is actually a disorder. And, And some of you actually watched the program that kind of brings to light these people. And we say these people like it's not us, right? I just talked about what closet doors don't close, right? We all have things we don't need. Hoarding is an ongoing difficulty of throwing away or parting with possessions because you believe you need to save them. You might not know when we might need one of those. We kind of do that life, right? You may experience distress at the thought of getting rid of those items. You gradually keep and gather a huge number of items regardless of their actual value. Hoarding often creates extreme cramped living conditions with only narrow pathways, winding through stacks of clutter. When there's no more room inside your home, the clutter may spread to the garage, vehicles in the yard, and other storage areas. Some people have mild cases of hoarding. Others have more severe. But there's no question that it impacts your life. And you're not sure that you want to be there. But here's what I would challenge you today with. We have been given, and we have discovered this over the last two chapters, a new life in Christ Jesus. And from that new life, we need to do some cleaning up because of that. Now, there's some cleaning up that he's already done. And I'm grateful for the cleaning up he's done. But there's a part that he does, and we're going to find out in chapter 3 of Colossians that there's a part that we do called sanctification. Good time for us to clean up. And when we do, we kind of find these piles, right? We create the piles. We watch the show, we know this deal. They're the things that you retain, the things that you keep. They're the things that you release, that you let go of. You might throw them away. And then you have these things that are remembered that you want to keep because you remember them. And then there are things that are reinforced and that you want to invest more in. This is something I want to make sure it stays here. It's a good time for God's people to take an inventory of their walk with the Lord. Followers of Jesus have been given this life And what's it mean in the job that we need to live out? So we're going to take a close look at this passage from Colossians chapter 3. Again, we're going to look at it a little at a time. Please, please, please stop thinking about somebody else who needs these words. Please, please, please. These are words that each of us individually need to address in our own life. And so I'm going to ask you to kind of hold the mirror up as we take a look at it. And again, we will look at all of Colossians chapter 3. So just hold that. And we're going to stop and look at little sections of it so that we make sure we capture it all. And this first one that I want to look at are in the first four verses of chapter 3. And it is the changes that happen in new life. 
The changes that happen in your life happen because, as we're going to see, because of Christ Jesus. One through four, things that need to be retained. Things that we need to keep. Look at verses one through four. It says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then he who will appear with him in glory. I love that verse four. When Christ, who is your life. I guess the first question I'd want to ask, is he your life? I mean, is he the thing that you live life for? What needs to be retained in this moment? Making sure that something's kept and it's secured and we keep it in the keep pile. We keep it in the safe pile. Without question, Colossians is talking about us that Christ is supreme, that he's preeminent. He's above all of the other things that we have. We've spent the last several weeks talking about that, but in this chapter, we're looking at what we need to keep and what we need to let go of. This is a retaining moment. And so what we find are some things that we need to retain, we need to keep, and there are three of them that I found uh, that I think we need to look at. First off is the focus. We need to retain the focus. We see it in verse one and two, that Christ Jesus is the thing that we need to focus. I don't know how many of you remember an old show, you can actually watch it on YouTube still, uh, called Candid Camera. We like that show, I like that show because it was like this first moment of us taking a camera and not telling anybody it was there. And what we wanted to do, what they wanted to do was to actually catch people in the act of being themselves. They weren't trying to do anything weird, they were just trying to catch them in the act of being themselves. So in this one particular episode, there's this busy sidewalk and this guy is standing there looking on the ground. And so they're filming from another area. He's looking on the ground, and he starts to try to find out what's going on, and then he starts to get down on his hands and knees like he's looking for something important. And what happens is, is a lady comes up, and she starts to see that he's looking for something, and without asking him what he's looking for, she gets down on her hands and knees and starts looking for it too. And slowly but surely, six, eight, 12 people now, all looking on the ground, helping this guy find what they do not know what they're looking for, and then the guy, this is the great part, stands up quietly, backs out of the scenario so that we leave these 12 people looking for something that nobody knows. What a horrible trick to play on them. But people acting and behaving, getting caught doing, being themselves. And here's the thing. I wonder if we look this intently after Christ Jesus. So intently that we're searching and helping other people to search helping other people to find. Our focus needs to be on who he is. And again, in Christ, we, we find these in the first two verses, in our Christian life, we are known for what we're looking for. What are you looking for? As a Christian, what are you looking for? I would hope that it would be that you're looking for Christ. Because when we look at the verses, it says that we've been raised to new life in Jesus and we're told to seek those things that are from above. The verb seek is a present tense imperative mode. Not because I'm an English major that I can tell you that. Someone else did the business of that and I can tell you. For me to explain that makes sense to me. Present tense imperative mode means that we are in the continuing spot of seeking him. We don't seek him once, we keep seeking him. We keep looking for him and we keep these things which are above. In verse two, it tells us that we need to set our mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So we're to focus our thoughts and our minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And when we do, they're gonna bring him glory. So the second thing I would say that happens in this text is not just a focus, but there needs to be a funeral. 
there's a funeral that happens. We read about it in verse three. And then as we get to verses five through nine, we'll talk about what that funeral actually looks like. We understand that the fact that we need to put some things to death. Jesus put some things to death on the cross. But after that, we still need to put some things to death. This is us doing that. He did his part. We do our part. He did justification. We do sanctification. That's our work that we do. And to put to death, the verb in verse five, put to death literally means to make dead. I know, difficult. To make dead, it's very strong. It suggests that you're not simply to suppress or control evil acts and attitudes. You are to wipe them out. Completely exterminate the old way of life. It's a time for a funeral to begin to happen in your life. Have you planned that funeral for the things that need to die? Then we have this third piece, and that is the future. It's found in verse four. It says, when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. And that's that part in the song, when death was arrested and he came back to life and our, we're now been, our death has, has been arrested by the glory of what he does and gives us life. There's a future. Paul closes the paragraph by reminding us that his, this world is not best up for us here. Even though we want to be here and we desire to stay here, you're gonna have to deny your flesh down here, but it'll be worth it over there. You'll have to battle Satan here, but you'll enjoy the victory over there. When Jesus comes, your faith in him will be vindicated and you'll be glorified with him. So here's my question as we close this first point. Does your focus need to be adjusted? Like the little lenses that they do whenever they're trying to get you glasses or not. Is this better or is this better? Is that better or is this better? You need to get yourself back into focus again because we get blurred vision. Tired of tripping over the stuff in your heart? going, who put this here, and why is this here? And then when you ask the question, you find out you were the one, you brought it here, you put it there, that's why you keep tripping over it? Those are kind of those dumb moments, and we're gonna find that as we take a look at this test, focusing on not just the things, the things that God has given to us, but the one he has given us in Christ Jesus, seated at the right hand. But then we find out that there's a challenge. We find there's a challenge in this new life, And in this challenge, there's some things that, quite frankly, need to be released. They need to be let go of. They need to be thrown away. We would say we need to sell them. I would not want to give some of the things I'm talking about in this list to anybody else. So I don't want to sell them to them. I want to throw them away. I want them to be gone. And that's a releasing moment. Let's look at it. Verses 5 through 11. I'll tell you, this is the hardest part of the text for all of us. Because this is where we have to start taking a look at our lives individually with a mirror in front of us and say, who am I really? Look at verse 5. It says, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all these things such as, and this is where it gets really ugly. You're going, I'm fine on the first list. Then you get to the second one, it gets ugly. These things like anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is all. Man, verse 11 doesn't matter where we come from, that he's the one who redeems us from all of this junk that we have. So what's the challenge? 
The first challenge I would have for us in this new life is that we need to stop walking in our old self. And we need to live in the brilliant freedom of a new Christian self. So many of us are still living in the old nature. And we know it. I mean, I don't need to tell you this. You know it. And you know what I'm talking about. Look at this list and you know what I'm talking about. Here's a quick list of this. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, beating us up, but they're here. We need time to speak about them. Verse 5 speaks of fornication. Word translated from a Greek word that refers to any type of sexual expression. And Paul is telling us that any sexual activity that takes place outside the confines of marriage in a married relationship with sin and must be put away from our lives. But then he skips off of that and talks about uncleanliness in that same verse. It means impurity. It looks beyond the acts of the body into the thoughts and the minds of the motives of the heart. And not only is it the outward man supposed to be clean, but so is the heart and the mind. He goes on in verse 5 to list wicked passions. It's the idea of lust for forbidden things, like things we're not allowed to touch. It's that whole moment in the tree. You didn't have anything in the garden except that. Well, why not? What will hurt if I touch that one thing? What will be the big deal? And even when you touch it, you kind of go, I know he told me not to. And I don't don't understand why I feel bad about taking, because he said, don't touch that. And you do. Wicked passions. God's marked certain things off limits for us. And the lust seeks those things, and we long for them. Then in verse 5, he also talks about evil desires. It speaks of a mind that longs for these things. And the person with this kind of mind may never commit evil on a physical level, but they live in this fantasy world where they come up with the most wicked thoughts, and they're acted out in both the heart and the mind. Then we find that he talks about covetedness. Word actually means to have more. It refers to the, to the big desire to possess more than you have. Again, fill your shed, fill your garage, then complain about the clutter as though someone else brought it. This is the stuff that we wanted to have, we needed to have. Someone said we need to have four of them. And so we got them. The placing of things ahead of God is always this kind of battle in our life. And we call it, he called it, idolatry. Then we go down to verse eight and the list changes. This is where it gets really complicated for us. I don't think it is, but we make it complicated. Verse 8 says, anger. Anybody not dealing with that one? Everybody got that one under control? No angerment issues that you have of any kind? Never come out in any way? Refers to this deep, smoldering bitterness. It's an anger that dwells in the heart and makes the angry person hard to deal with. You know who I'm talking about, right? That angry person is hard to deal with. They tend to lash out at both words and deeds. And then we have the word wrath. This word wrath is the word that refers to anger that boils over. It speaks of sudden explosive outbursts of anger. Then we have the word malice. Uh, This is anger mixed with a desire to do harm, to focus on anger, take the focus off the anger. And when malice is involved, the angry person strikes out to do damage to another person. However they can get at misrepresenting them. Slander. First to slander that's directed toward God and toward other people. We slander others when we insult and we belittle others. Man, are we a smart aleck generation of people. I mean, we, are, we, we slander people on a regular basis, not even recognizing that we do it. It happens in gossip all the time when we put others, behind, others down behind their backs. He speaks in verse 8 of filthy communication, refers to abusive speech. It speaks of words that are thrown around in an attempt to hurt and wound someone. They actually happens when people say things they should not say in a moment of anger. And we get to this one in verse 9, lying. When we lie to one another, we're using the tool and the tactic that, that the devil's given us to use. 
He is the, the one who taught us how to lie. This characteristic has no place in the life of a child of God, but nonetheless, we need to put it off. But then we get to verse 10 and verse 11, which are great pieces of soothing the moment. <laughs> a Christian is to put on the new self, it says in verse 10. The new self. Now, can I say this? I can't have a new self without Jesus. I don't know how to have a new self on my own. He's the only one that can give me a new self. I can't get it from a book. I can't get it from a video. I can't get it from a TED Talk. I'm not going to get it from a worship song. I can only get it from him. And it's a part that I would draw you probably to the Lord's Supper today in verse 10. Because verse 10, one more time, while you pull your communion out right now, it says this. And you put on the new self, which being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, the phrase image of creator, while you're pulling communion out together, is a foundational Christian faith moment. Genesis 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, let us... <laughs> I thought God said. It says, let us make mankind in our image... In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and over the wild animals, over all the creations that moves along it. See, you and I have been made in the image of God. Chips off the old block, if you want to call it that. But here's the thing. Since the fall, since Adam and Eve, since sin entered our lives, the effects of sin actually mars the image to the point that the image is not recognizable. So the image that's now been created by God has been marred, not because of what he did to it, but because of what we do to it. And this is the beauty of what Christ Jesus does at a moment of communion for us. He comes in and changes the image back to its original form so that it looks the way that God created it. That's amazing to me. That what I messed up, the messed up part of the marred image that I created out of this chip of the block that I was made in his image... He comes and he cleans it all back up and he says, look, just like you, you had it before. Just like you created it to be. Because of the blood and the body of our Savior, your image is made completely restored in the face of God. You have been made new. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, for by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy See, Christ finished the work on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin, the past action that you created, and the Father now views you through Jesus' substitutionary atonement, as Danny was reminding us. His holy and righteous, those who are being made holy, and those believers who are being remade, being remade in the image of Christ Jesus. He now makes you what you used to be, and that is the image of God. What a reason to thank him at this moment. Would you bow your heads? And thank him for creating a new life back in you from the marred image that you created. Lord Jesus, we come now thanking you for the sacrifice of your own son so that the image that you created us to be in front of you has been restored. We have damaged that image along the way. We've created the mess that we have. But we thank you for the salvation and redemption that we have and the newness that we have. We thank you for Scarlet 
as an example of that today in our worship day, one more has now found themselves recreated back into that image that you created for us at the very beginning. So thank you for restoring us and making us new, making us a new-natured person because of what it is you did through the cross. We come now remembering it, recalling it, as you did with the, the disciples in the upper room. We come back and we remember again your body and your blood that you gave in sacrifice to make us look completely brand new in God's eyes. Thank you for it now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And now would you take this bread and would you eat it remembering the body of our Savior. Remembering again the new life that you have because of this blood that was shed. Would you drink and remember him? Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> so I would just challenge you to check yourself. Like that's really simple. But it's an examination, quite frankly, that needs to take place in our life every day. Are you serving anything other than God? That's a question you can ask every day. Daily ask yourself, what needs to be released by me? The checking helps to balance and discover what else I need to find in myself. Because sanctification, quite frankly, is a process. And the beautiful part about all of this sanctification part is while we're all here on this planet, we're at it until he comes back for us or until we don't breathe anymore. Like we're responsible for it until that moment because God is still at work in all of us. I don't know about you, but I'm still a construction site with yellow tape cautioning everyone to stay away. I come up with some of this list all the time and I'm like, why am I still angry? Why am I still there? But then I remember through Christ Jesus that he's transformed. He transformed us into God's image. That he's renewed our spirits and our minds according to Ephesians 4.23. That we grow in the knowledge of the word of God or transformed by the spirit of God to share in the glorious image of him in 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18. That God transforms us by the renewing of our minds, Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And he involves us in the study of God's word because we find out that the truth actually sets us free in John chapter 8 verse 31. So I would ask you the question, do you need to lay down some things? Do you need to release some things? Do you need to get that pile and say it needs to go away? How can you be victorious over the sin? One step you can take is to starve the fleshly appetites. Like a smoker or drug addict trying to get off of stuff and going, you know what, tomorrow I'm throwing it away and I'm done with it. Now I want you to know the first few days, few first weeks, like craziness, Right? But if you starve what it is that you know your appetite wants right now and you just cut it off, it's going to be difficult at first, but it's one of the ways that you can do it. A second way you can do it is to overcome it by overcrowding it. You feel it so full of life that all the positive things, that evil has no place to be able to reside in it. In other words, you fill your garage, your shed, your living room, your bedroom with all of the greatest things of God. There's no room for any evil in here. It's so full of him, there's no space left. That would be my way of allowing it to happen in your life so that the things of this word, the word of God, that sin cannot gain a foothold in your heart. And we come to this third piece in our text today, and it's where we find that there's your character. Your character finds new life. You, you find that you're changed. You're, 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 who you are isn't who you used to be. And there are some things that need to be remembered. And as you clean, you know, you kind of come across something in the room that reminds you of something else from another time. We were cleaning a closet not long ago. Found ourselves crying over the things we were pulling out of that closet. Little tiny jackets from little tiny boys that used to go little traipsing around in our room. An old jacket, an old sweatshirt, an old hoodie from Aunt, Aunt Dot. 
all stuck in her closet, like, like I'm going to wear it. But I know she did. And so you have these memory moments, right? They're great memory moments. They might be in a, in a, in a tragic way. You might go, I found the stain on the carpeting. And I remember where that stain came from. Like I know who spilled it and I know who was there and I know what I said when it happened. And you kind of want to keep it because it reminds you of a better time, a better moment. Let's look though at verses 12 through 17 on the new character of things that we're to remember. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with the wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A new character now gets placed back in the room that you just cleaned up. So what are some of the characterized things that happen in our life whenever we clean up the room? It's characterized by new deeds. Verses 12 through 15 tell us this. Once I change my, when I've been working out or working outside, I get it all dirty. I get sawdust all over me. I have dirt everywhere. I I smell to high heavens. I take off the old clothing and then I go right away and go, now what should I put on? Oh, I know. Why don't I put on the stuff that's just laying there on the floor? No. Not, the, not my best choice. Why do we want to go back to that? We want to put on new things. And what are the new things we put on? Because just like we heard in the old text, it says, put off or take off these things. It means once and for all, take it off. Don't keep taking it off. Take it off and leave it off. And the same thing would be put on, put it on and leave it on. What are the things we put on? One would be the fruit of the spirit. New life energized and led by God always show the proof of God's spiritual presence. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 25 makes this whole list back up in our face again because it will itself be in every area of our life. Do you let these things, do you let goodness come into every area of your life? Do you let kindness come into every area of your life? Or you just save it for a few people? Why not bring it into all the portions of your life? Here's another thing, the forgiveness of people. It's an ugly text in verse 13, isn't it? Nobody likes talking about forgiving other people. One of the hardest things we have to do is have to forgive. Why? Because we want to forgive like Jesus forgave us. And we go, there's no way I could possibly on this green earth forgive like Jesus forgave. I'm not asking you to forgive the entire world. Just the one who's in your world. And that's complicated for us. When Christ reigns in our heart, there's no room for grudges. There's no room for grievances, but only forgiveness. And start with the people that are absolutely the closest to you. And I don't mean just the ones that are sitting in the room with you here, although those are the ones I'm talking about. We have the most trouble with forgiveness with the people we're closest to. We struggle with it. It's weird how I can forgive a neighbor for some grievance he had with me. I don't even know who he is or even if he knows Jesus or not. I'm like, hey, no big deal. Hey, somebody around here, I'm holding on to it for years. Somebody in my family holding on to it for years. Who do you need to forgive? Verse 14, 
Here's another piece of the, the characteristics of what happens in our deeds. The fragrance of the Savior starts to come out in verse 14. We start to smell like Jesus. You know, when I pull out Aunt Dot's jacket, I can't help but do the whole, put it up to my face. And I can smell her. Now, what's the fragrance of a Savior for you? Love. That's what this verse says. You want to smell like Jesus? That's his scent. That's what he forbreezes on his life. And he wants us to have on ours. John 13, 35 talks about the fragrance is actually love. And the life controlled by the Lord is a life of love. And then I would also say some of the deeds that need to happen are the fullness of a spiritual life in verse 15. The fullness of a spiritual life in the spirit demonstrates himself in peace and assurance before God. And you have a forever kind of confidence because you know you live and are saved by the prince of peace. But that's also characterized by a new direction. How do you get this direction? Verse 16 says that we dwell richly to, to inhabit or to in abundance, to, to have it be at home with us, to, to richly dwell in it. Christians dare not be strangers to the Bible. The word cannot get into us until it, it can, cannot get into you until it gets in, until you get into it. And when it gets in you, it'll control you. But we're also told in this verse on the new direction that we're supposed to admonish. Admonish means to instruct and warn of evil. The saints of God are to have a heart for their wayward brother. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 uses it this way. He uses the word you need to restore a brother. I love that word restore. You know what restore means? To set a broken bone. Wow. We're to help someone set a broken bone. Why? We want them to walk again. We want them to move again. But then we also find that you're to, you're, you're to have a heart of praise filled with a new man that's in control. You see yourself different. Every now and then it'll dawn on you that Jesus has done for you and that he's the best thing in your life. And all of a sudden you find yourself smiling going, what? What are you laughing at? I'm like, I'm just thinking about how good God is, how great he's been to me. But it's also characterized by a new decision. Verse 17 tells us about that decision. No longer are you interested in pleasing the flesh, but every decision is based on whether or not it brings glory to the Lord. And such is the life controlled by the new man. How does that happen? A decision with our words happen. You find that you control your tongue when you live out a new man day to day. All of a sudden your speech is changing and you don't say some of the things you used to say. Get mad at some of the things you used to get mad at. There's a decision in your ways as well. When the new man is in control, every action will be weighed against this question. Will this activity bring honor or dishonor to the name of Jesus? That should be the question we ask every time if he's our new life. And then there's this third piece, and that's a decision in your witness. You'll come to the place where you want to please the Lord, and his desire will can be considered on your own. The overriding question will not be, how does this please me? It will be, is this pleasing the Lord? In doing this, can I truly do it with an attitude of praise and thanksgiving? Is Jesus my primary consideration in this matter? When he is, you let the new man live in you, and therefore you glorify God. There's this illustration of an old dead man in your life. You want to know if you've got the old dead man still in your life? Well, it'll show up. Here's how. The old illustration would be in ancient Rome, a custom of forcing a murderer to wear the corpse of the victim on him. So who he murdered, they tie that dead body onto him. Well, over time, the dead body decays and the dead body's touching you. And over time, you slowly decay. You want to know if you're really in that spot or not? Can people see that your life is in decay? Can you? Do you notice it? 
I mean, who is it that, that's eating you up right now? Is the flesh eating you up? Is the world eating you up? Is the devil eating you up? Or is the Spirit of God giving you life again? Praise Him. Praising you allows Him to know the, the blessings and the beginnings that you have. Do you need to take a trip down memory lane and nail some, down some things? Things that need to be remembered, like what Christ Jesus has put in you and what He's put on you? Have you found yourself cleaning up the clutter? Which memories come in that cleaning moment? Go to your memories and remember that that old man is the old nature. And remember what Jesus has done in that old man every time you get there. Then we look at these last verses. I didn't know I would include them until this week, but I thought, why not? Because all of this stuff that happens in the first 17 verses are about our own spirit and our own walk. And then from that, we find out that because of this new life, your community and your new life changes. And so I would challenge us to look at the new community because these are things that are reinforced. I need all of you and we need each other. When your everyday cleaning is paid off and reinforced, you begin to love and live in the beauty. It's like that item needs to be saved, cherished, hung up on the wall. It's back behind the door, and I want it up on the wall where everyone can see it. Let's lay that carpeting out. I didn't even know we had it in here. Put that on the floor and let it cover up all the spills the kids made. Let's get it out and let it be seen. We want to reinforce those things. Look at verses 18 through 25, because this is our community. It's everybody's community, believe it or not. Verse 18 Don't check yourself out just yet. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's two relationships. Then we have this one. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Then we get everybody else. Fathers, do not be embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Then verse 22 says, slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything. And you go, hey, don't, don't be calling me a slave. You are a slave to someone. You punch in somewhere, someone pays your bill, someone tells you when to be at work and when to go home. They tell you what days you're allowed. School, this is the days I have. This is where I'm supposed to go. This is the hallway I'm allowed to go down. We all have masters in our life. Whether we want to call it that or not, we do. So obey your earthly masters in everything, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as in working for the Lord, not for men. And since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there's no favoritism. This list, wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, seems to encompass all the relationships that we have in our community. And let me just sum up what Paul's trying to get to us in these three things. One is our relationships that we have in our community are under Christ's lordship. Every person that we have are under Christ's lordship. All relationships that you come into every day in your community are under the lordship of Jesus. Not because you told them that, because you want them there and you know they need to be there. The bottom line is that you gotta have a healthy relationship with the Lord before you can have a healthy relationship with others. And I think so many times people want a healthy relationship in their marriage or with their children or with their boss. And I'm like, how's your relationship with the Lord coming? That's the first relationship. Everything hinges on that one. But then I would say this way, as Paul was trying to try to express it, our relationships are to be motivated by a desire to please God. Is everything that you do with the people around you, do you turn it in such a way that you say, I just want to please God in this relationship. I want to give it the best I can. I want him to be happy with what it is I'm attempting to do. Pleasing God in relationships with the realm of your community will be better when you do that. 
What are you trying to do to please God in all the areas of your life? See, the directives in verses 5 through 11 that we read are putting off and putting on can only be made made better whenever you find yourself living out verses 1 through 4, setting your mind on things above. And then this last one that I would say is in this text for us is that our relationships are to be others-focused. You've heard me talk about this a multitude of times. When you practice selfishness, you find yourself more and more by yourself because you've ruined the relationships that you were supposed to have. When others in your community are elevated above you, things begin to change in your marriage. They begin to change in your children. They begin to change as parents. They begin to change with your boss. They begin to change with your teachers and future masters. So I'd ask you this question as we close this point. Do you need to put something into practice? Something. I mean, I, I don't know where to start on this list for you, but, but start somewhere. Put something into practice. Which of these three items that I just listed are the most difficult for you? Why not spend some time turning that thing into prayer and it begin to change you and then change your community of people that you're around? Well, our team's going to come and I close with this illustration from uh, an article from our Daily Bread. It was written this way. An article in a San Francisco newspaper reported that a young man who once found a $5 bill on the street resolved that from the time on he would never lift his eyes while walking you know that whole deal i found five bucks i could find 20 i could find a hundred and so he spent time with his eyes never looking up paper went on to say that over the years he accumulated among other things 29,516 buttons that's an important thing to find 54,172 pens 12 cents, he obviously found, a bent back and a miserly disposition. He also lost something, the glory of the sunlight, the radiance of the stars, the smiles of friends, the freshness of blue skies. And I'm afraid that many Christians and many non-Christians are like that man. While they may not walk around staring at the sidewalk, they are so engrossed with the things of this life that they give little attention to spiritual or eternal value things at all. And perhaps they've gotten a taste of something for a fleeting pleasure offered by the world and they're spending their time pursuing it at all cost. But I'm just telling you right now, it's dangerous. And God's children, who as we read in scripture, are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, give their affection and attention to a world that's passing away, they lose an upward look. Their perspective becomes distorted They fail to see and bask in heaven's glory. Taken up with the babbles of this world, they become defeated, delinquent Christians who have nothing but a pocket full of buttons and pens and a few pennies to their name. Their treasures are not laid up in heaven. Can I just say, stop looking down. Stop looking down. I mean, even if in the moment of everything that we've just read, you go, I have no idea where to start, Brian. I'm going to ask you to get down, to look up and cry out and say, I I can't do this by myself. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to start. I'm still landing on the same kinds of concrete things that I keep stepping into and I can't move. I need your assistance. I need your help. I need your plan. I need your people. And cry out to him. But don't do it with your head down. Do it with your face up. Oh, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, 
I need you. We've got to look up. And it is the call that Paul has given us in the book of Colossians, the call that I give you today. That in among the people today, that the way that you can get this resolved is at least by starting as Scarlet started our service today. I need to have my sins washed away. Scarlet, thank you for helping us with that. Thank you for your family being here to be part of it, for us to be able to celebrate this moment of victory when a new life comes to know who you are. But here's the deal. The journey begins in Scarlet's life right now because it's a journey that, quite frankly, Paul is letting us know we're going to have in our lives until the day we go home, until he comes back for us. How are we going to do it? Oh, how I pray that it would be with our heads lifted high knowing that we have a savior who's on our side and that we wouldn't miss his glory. So I'm gonna pray for you before we stand and before we sing. Lord, I'm praying right now, you be with every person here in this room. We have a lot to look at in these verses. And we could have stayed on any one of them and really thrown fire and brimstone out and made us all feel bad. But God, we know that through your spirit, you've convicted us where we need to be convicted. And we know the parts that push the button in our own souls. And so I'm praying, God, that you would move in a mighty way in our lives. It'll be the thing that people will see on the outside. Like, what are you guys about? New life that gets changed from how they used to live to who they are now. We thank you for putting to death that old self. One more death was buried today. A funeral happened today in Scarlet's life. And there's still an opportunity, God, for more and more to be able to say yes to Lord Jesus to confess him as Lord, to repent of their own sins, to change from the ways they used to be, to allow their lives to be cleansed only by him, to walk in the newness of life. And I'm praying, God, that that might happen in the people here today, that we might admit where it is that we've, where we failed and where we're wrong. And instead of having our heads down, God, we'd lift them up and say, we just need you. We cry out to you, God, and we pray that there would be someone that would respond to that. We're here for them, here and available for them. Thank you for the body of Christ, new membership that happens, people allowing themselves to, I need the community of the body of Christ here. Help us in those decisions just now as we come and we sing before you one more time in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's sing, I'll be here to receive you. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. 